this morning from 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. This is the Word of God for the people of God. If you've read through this first letter of John, you may have had the experience that I've already referred to, is that often it seems like he's writing in sort of a circular or repetitive fashion. This morning, though, even though he's talking about the same themes of loving God and loving one another or loving neighbor, he turns it just a little bit. There's a little nuance here I want us to notice. Typically, he writes that if we love one another, that shows that we know God and God's love. But in this particular part of 1 John, he reverses his logic, if you will, to say that to love God and God's commandments is proof that we love God's children. He reverses the way he talks about this. I think you can hear the difference in verse 2 when he writes, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. But he's also very clear here that belief in Jesus as the Christ is really important if we're going to understand the fullness of this love of God and what it means to love one another. But he starts off by saying everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So he's saying more than Jesus is born of God, which he claims and other authors in the Christian scriptures say as well. But he's saying that those of us who believe in Jesus as the Christ are also born of God or reborn or born anew or born again. That it's that belief in Christ that activates something in our lives of this love. But he's also saying the one who is the Christ sometimes translated as the Messiah, literally meaning the one anointed, is also the one who is crucified, who was arrested and tortured and suffered and died on a cross. And that part of the story is part of the revelation of God as well as the rest. The radical change that Christians bring to theology comes through the cross this whole idea that somehow God came to us in human form is scandalous. It's too much for some to believe because they think it compromises the otherness or the holiness or the power of God, that somehow it cancels out the transcendence of God as creator. Some people just feel it's a little too human it's too gritty it's too much vulnerability for it really to be a revelation of God 
And yet the scriptures affirm this over and over and over again. Let me give you a couple of examples. Kathy read to us from the Gospel of John. If we flip back over to the first chapter of John, he talks about this in this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Then later in the same chapter, he goes on and says, And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. Or a few weeks ago, we read from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we read this passage from chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Part of what 1 John is saying to us is we need to see this whole revelation of God through the whole life of Jesus if we're to understand what it means for him to be the Christ. Our passage today refers to this in a rather poetic way. In that very last verse, we read verse 6 out of chapter 5. The author writes, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is truth. Can you hear that this author wants us to think about the whole birth and baptism, life, teaching, and death of Christ as all part of the revelation? He is saying that Christ came not only in triumph, that is, through water or baptism, which if you remember that story, the Gospels tell us when Jesus came out of the water, he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It's a moment of revelation. It's a moment of glory. It's one of the high points in the Gospel. But this author is saying, that is great. We want to celebrate that. But an equally important part of the revelation is the blood, the death on the cross. And he goes on to say that the Spirit is at work in our lives and in our midst to remind us of all of this. And the Spirit will teach and guide us, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, that the Spirit we can trust to help us remember all that we have seen, all that we have heard, all that we have been taught, sort of this whole story of God at work through Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Anointed One. 
It points to this idea that God understands all of our lives, all of our human experience, that Jesus walked through all of it, not just the good times. Oh, God is there when we're inspired, but that God is with us in the most difficult and horrible and terrible times of our lives, represented by the crucifixion. It's both the water and the blood. And this author is saying there are many ways we are born anew, but one of those is when we embrace or recognize this whole range of human experience that Jesus walked and to understand that God is with us in it all and God was at work in it all through Jesus. I think that's why he starts this fifth chapter by writing, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He goes on to talk about this love and obeying the commandments. As it said throughout this letter, it's all about love and receiving the love of God and being filled with that and living that out as we go on our way. Dr. Marcus Borg is one of my favorite biblical scholars. He passed away in 2015, but he had written dozens of books over the course of his career that I really liked called The Heart of Christianity. In that one, he talks about this word believe that we have in the text. And he said in pre-modern English, believe is closely related to beloved. Same root words for both of those. And then he writes, this is the central meaning of faith. Given the pre-modern meaning of believe, to believe in God is to beloved God. Faith is about beloving God and all that God beloves. The Christian life is about beloving God and all that God loves faith is our love for god so believing is more than agreeing to a statement or saying i think that's true or assenting to an idea intellectually believing has to do with loving and this author says obeying these commandments from god about love Believing, then, is to commit your love and your life to the person of Jesus as the Christ. He says in the first part of verse 3, For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments. And of course, you know the commandment that the Gospel of John and these letters of John talk about all the time. It's love of God and love of one another or love of neighbor. It's all about living in light of God's love. Letting the love of God that's been poured out upon us influence anything and everything that we think or do. And then he goes on to say, and you know, this kind of love even though we may be thinking that's very demanding and all-consuming, he says in that last part of verse 3, right after he talks about obeying the commandments, he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Dr. William Barclay, one of the great Bible scholars from the last century who wrote commentary 
on all of the Christian scriptures, writes about this passage and in writing about it, tells the story of a young boy walking to school one day with another boy on his back. They encounter a man who thinks it's a strange sight to see these boys walking down this road, one carrying the other all the way. The man says to them when he gets to them, do you always carry him along this road? He said, oh yes, every day we go to school this way. The man said, that must be quite a burden. And the boy says, oh no, he's my brother. I love him. Barclay comments, love takes a burden and makes it no burden at all. The claim and the promise of the gospel and of these letters is that the love of God changes us. That seeing this revelation of love through the life of Jesus changes us. And receiving this love rebirths us. We are born anew or born again into people whose lives are more caring and sharing and giving. Whose lives are willing to sacrifice for the good of another. To serve for the good of another out of our understanding of God loving us and us sharing that love. The scriptures say that God is at work in us and around us, shaping and forming us evermore into the likeness and the image of Christ. The love of God changes the equation. The love of God is offered to change our lives just a couple of weeks we'll be celebrating the christian holiday of pentecost penta coming from the greek of five or 50 it's 50 days after passover 50 days after easter for us it celebrates the birth of the church you probably remember the story as it's told in the book of acts the disciples have seen jesus be arrested and crucified and taken off the cross and buried, and they are bewildered and afraid, and it says they are locked in an upper room because of their fear. And then it says the Holy Spirit came to them and breathed on them, and it was like tongues of fire were coming out of them, and they moved from this scared little band of disciples into the streets to proclaim that the one who was crucified, the one you think is dead, is really alive. And the love of God transcends even death. And they become these first witnesses and continue to proclaim this message, this good news, that God is at work in this one Jesus, the Christ. And in that, through that revelation, has opened this experience of love to any and all who will receive it. And that becomes the beginning of the church of those called together to continue the proclamation. We do so through so many different means, two of which we call sacraments, physical actions we take together that reveal to us spiritual truth. It's the two that this author refers to as the water and the blood. It's baptism and Holy Communion. 
where in baptism we initiate or draw one into the church. In immersion kind of baptism, we symbolize the dying and the rebirth as we go underwater and come back out. But the water is also symbolizing this grace and love of God that is operative in the world and is available to us in our lives. And then, of course, when we come to the table together, we say it's Christ's table. We drink the juice, and we say this reminds us, this is representative of the blood of Christ, the blood of the new covenant. We eat and drink and celebrate our salvation through this revelation in Jesus as the Christ. This author's reminding us of all of that. And finally says, the Spirit will keep reminding you. The Spirit is still at work drawing you to be a part of this life in the community of those who follow Christ and proclaim Jesus as the Christ. You can trust the Spirit can trust the spirit is witnessing to your spirit or in this one it says testifying to you because he's drawing you or revealing to you the truth and he says and that is our victory in the world it gives us a different life it, the victory is a different way to say you're born anew once you've encountered this love of god and experienced the change in your living caitlin dreich is our director of communications here a few weeks ago she sent me an article on some research that she had run across about religious life and what it means for someone to be a follower of christ and how it impacts their life i want to read you a little bit of this i put the title of the article in the outline why some americans are flourishing in a languishing nation and it talked about all the difficulties we're dealing with coming out of covid and all the struggles then the two authors point to a recent Gallup poll that found a better predictor of life satisfaction. Actually, the best one they found was religious attendance at services. It was a better predictor than educational attainment or socioeconomic status or even gross or net income. The researchers found that 67% of weekly worship attenders reported being very satisfied, whereas there was, that was only true for 51% across the nation and for only 61% of those making at least $100,000 a year. But then, like good researchers, they ask, how can we tell that religious participation is actually causing people to flourish? What if instead people with low life satisfaction, like those who might have a serious illness or disability, for instance, are just less likely to ever attend a religious service? The authors wrote this, Our team at the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard University has conducted a number of studies to assess how religious participation affects the various ways Americans thrive over time. One of our recent studies went back and looked at the gathered data over many years with tens of thousands of participants from children through retirees, and they found similar results to those that the Gallup poll they had just cited found. They wrote this, religious participation strongly predicted higher subsequent life satisfaction 
even after controlling for prior health, socioeconomic status, and other demographic factors. The authors pointed out several reasons for this. Now, the article was long. I'm not going to list them all, but I want to mention just three of them here before we close. They wrote, participating in an ongoing religious life or an ongoing religious community does several things, but these three I thought I would lift up. It builds supportive relationships among members. I bet if we took the time, all of us could testify to that, that some of our most important relationships are with friends at church. It builds supportive and caring relationships. It also says it promotes stronger marriage bonds and protects against destructive behaviors like suicide, addiction, and drug overdose. Now, these authors were studying sort of those psychosocial factors that help somebody thrive or flourish. But I don't think it's too big a stretch to say that those who participate in the life of the church, whether this church or some other, or participate in religious gatherings or religious communities, are more likely to say they know God loves them and that there is a purpose in their lives. And that faith in God or faith in Christ and knowing that God loves you and, as this text says, obeying God's commandments makes a difference in their living. These authors say it makes a huge difference, a statistical difference to love and obey or live in the light of God's love. That it helps people to thrive over time or flourish We could all testify to that, I think, in our own personal lives. But so often we're concerned or afraid to share our faith with somebody else and invite them into the life of the community as if somehow we're forcing beliefs upon them. But if we think about what this author is saying and what this study points out is that sharing that invitation To come and know the love of God and obey his commandments, as this author says, is actually going to be a blessing in their life. It's going to help them thrive and flourish more than anything else. What an invitation to extend. Do you know somebody who's not participating in church? Do you know someone who's not connected to a religious community? Do you know someone who's stressed out and frustrated and struggling with their life? We can respond in lots of different ways, but one way would be to invite them into the life of Boston Avenue or in the life of some other religious community because it's clear it's a promise in the gospel, but it's also backed up by this research that it will change their lives and will help them grow in faith and grow in love and thrive. And they're living across the years. What a wonderful invitation to offer to someone else to come and participate. And of course, used to, they had to live close enough to actually come. But now we know we have worshipers all around the globe. COVID, one of the positive parts, was it forced us into that digital arena of reaching out to people and making things available online. And so now people can be a part of Boston Avenue or another church or another religious community, no matter where they live, if that church or community is extending the gospel via the digital space. 
think about how it's influenced your life, how it might influence somebody else's life. Extend the invitation that others might come to know the great love of God. Amen. And thanks be to God.